Welcome to another episode of the Sports Mecca Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Abramo. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Sam Hengeli. This evening, we're joined by San Francisco Dons men's basketball player, Khalil Shabazz. Khalil, we appreciate the time today. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, of course. So to start, update us on your schedule right now. I know that you finished your college season about a month and a half ago. You know, are you going through the uh, you know NBA draft process, um, just kind of getting ready for that? Yeah, you know, it was my last year, so I pretty much don't have a choice now. But, uh, you know, definitely just embracing every single day. Um, right now my schedule is pretty much just waking up, going to work out on the court, make sure I get a lift in, and then probably go back later for shots. So it's just mainly just basketball every day, trying to get in the best condition I can be in. Uh, make sure my shots right, my handles right, because you know we got some NBA workouts coming up sometime soon. So just trying to stay prepared and stay ready for all that stuff. And yeah, that's pretty much what my schedule looks like. So I want to learn a little bit more about you know NBA workouts. Are you going to be working out with specific teams, or are, you, are coaches going to be contacting you? Uh, usually, when it comes to this whole like draft process, the teams will like reach out to your agent or reach out to your coaches and just try to get in contact with you and then schedule um, an invite-only workout. It's probably like you and anywhere between like three to six other guys or something like that. Um, you pretty much come in there, you work out from anywhere 40 minutes to an hour, and you basically just, you know, showcasing your skill and they get to just focus on you. You know, a lot of the times when they come to games, they're watching you, but, you know, you got nine other guys on the court um, so the focus may not always be on you the whole time. So when you get these workouts, they get to watch you up close. You know, you get to do media when you get there. You get to meet some of the coaches and kind of just put a face to a name and kind of give them the type of vibe and personality of who you are and things like that. So, yeah, that's pretty much how the workouts go. Do you feel like you're really ready for when that time comes, you'll be able to show out? Yeah, for sure. I think. In terms of me and my situation, you know, playing in a mid-major conference and not being Gonzaga or St. Mary's, uh, we don't really get looked at as much. But, um, yeah, I think this year when I was playing against those top teams and playing on television and things like that, I feel like I performed. So I think getting in front of these guys and just having them watch me up close and personal and really seeing, like, the little things that I do and the capability that I have um, type of energy that I can bring to a team offensively, defensively, and just being a good locker room guy. I think all that plays a part, and I think that a lot of other guys don't really have that. So I think with them just watching me up close, it'll definitely help my situation. And like I said, I've been working every day to stay prepared and stay ready for that for that opportunity. So whenever it comes, I think I think I'll definitely be ready. Yeah, absolutely. You grew up in Seattle. Talk to us a little bit about the hoops culture there, what it's like in the Pacific Northwest. I think we have the best hoop culture, honestly. And I think the distinguishing quality when it comes to us and, you know, other places like D.C., New York, uh, L.A., wherever, you know, other places that have good hoop culture, I think us, like, we're really focused on helping the next generation. If a dude makes it to the league, he's not just going to make it to the league and just forget you know, younger dudes in Seattle. We have guys like Jamal Crawford, Nate Robinson, uh, Doug Christie, 
DeJounte Murray, all these other guys who have made it to the NBA and played at the highest level, but they make sure they talk to the kids, Isaiah Thomas, um, Avery Bradley, uh, Jason Terry, the list can go on and on. we got a bunch of guys in the league, but I think everybody makes a, a conscious effort to reach back and help the younger people. And we can go to an open gym and all those people I just named, they're in there hooping. And you can come in and as a younger player or come in as somebody nobody really knows and they'll st still treat you with respect and, you know, try to help you out in your game, give you little pointers or whatever the case may be. So I think with our situation, you know, we just really make sure that we give back to our community and that's what separates us from any other, uh, you know, area of hoop culture. You ever had the opportunity to play, you know, in a pickup game or play with DeJounte Murray? Yeah, DeJounte is like my big brother. Like, I've been knowing him my whole life. Um, him and my older brother are real close. And he's only two years older than me. So we played, we got two years together in high school as well. So, yeah, I've been playing against, with and against DeJounte since I was a kid. So, yeah, we're real close. Yeah, because DeJounte played at uh, University of Washington, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep, And, and we went where, to the same high school. So Yep, and that's where, you know, Isaiah Thomas played – you know, earlier back in, I think, 2010, 2011. Yeah. I, I am curious, though, with you being from Seattle and you obviously having a great connection to that city, what is it going to take for an NBA team to come back to that area? I think it's already in the works. I know we're number one on the list when it comes to expansion. So whenever the NBA chooses to do that, we're definitely going to be one of the places that gets a team, us in Vegas. So. Yeah, now it's just a matter of time whenever they actually pull the trigger. I don't think there's any more we need to do. I think everybody knows us up. Everybody in the NBA knows that we should have a team. Um, even our our Storm games, our WNBA games, like those be sold out. Um, anytime our hockey team has a game, it'd be sold out. So, like, the venue's nice, and everybody's locked in. So, I think whenever they do pull the trigger, I, I feel like the whole year that all the games are going to be sold out. So, whenever they decide to do that, we're going to be locked in for sure. Did you ever go to a Supersonics game as a kid? Yeah, of course. Of course. I think back when I was going, yeah, back when I was going, it was like Ray Allen, Rashard Lewis. Was it, uh, I think, Chris Wilcox? Um, who else they had on that team? Yeah, I went, I was going like around that era. I think I was like anywhere between six and eight years old. That's what I remember vividly. And then, um, yeah, and then we got Russ and KD, and then they left us. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we definitely got to get our team back. Yeah, and, you know, I've never been to the Pacific Northwest, and it would be a really cool environment just to see them back in the professional basketball landscape because, as you mentioned, the Seattle Storm, they have a WNBA team, and they have a very good following. But uh, transitioning to a different, you know, topic, you before you played at – uh, San Francisco, you actually started your college basketball career at a D2 school in central Washington in 2018. You know, talk to us about that experience and playing at that level. Yeah, man, I think I think that experience was very necessary in terms of my basketball journey. Coming out of high school, I didn't I didn't have no offers. Even that school, I didn't have an offer from that school until like I want to say a month and a half before school was supposed to start, it was really late. Like I didn't commit to like June something. So um, yeah, just not having no scholarships and not talking to any coaches or anything. Um, end up 
going over to Central Washington on like a 80 percent uh, scholarship. And then, yeah, man, I just at first. So at first, the coach wanted me to sit out and kind of red shirt, you know, get bigger, stronger, all those things. He just didn't feel like I was ready to be playing. And then we had like a preseason type situation where you can play like a couple games and then decide for the rest of the year if you want to red shirt. And then the first game I played, I had 28. So then ever, ever since then, he was like, oh, yeah, you got to start. So I started every game after my first game. And, yeah, it was everything I could ask for. I learned a lot. I didn't realize how good I was actually playing um, in terms of my percentages, in terms of how, how many minutes I was playing per game, the amount of points I was averaging, um, and things like that. I, I finished the year averaging, I think, 15, shooting like 40% from the three. And I ended up getting freshman of the year, so which was something that school had never experienced. So it was just a lot. I was able to be there and be super successful. My coach allowed me to just just blossom and just be able to put a lot of trust in me. You know, I'm a freshman. I think the rest of the starting five were all seniors. So um, yeah, I had some big shoes to fill, and I feel like I filled them pretty well back then. So yeah, I couldn't ask for a better experience when, in terms of a Division two situation and you know, my starting point. So because you had such a great season and you were very successful at the D2 level, did that, like once you finished your season, did that cause a lot of Division One programs like a San Francisco to, to recruit you and reach out? It didn't, which is crazy. It was the same situation it was coming out of high school where I felt like I did enough and I showed enough. But when it came time for me to enter the portal, I didn't have any other schools that i had uh Cal Baptist and they were transferring from transitioning from division two to division one at the time. So if I did go there, then I wouldn't have been able to make it to the tournament for the first four years. And then kind of like a central Washington situation where San Francisco didn't call me to like last minute. Um, they had a guard here who decided he wants to transfer. So that opened up another spot and yeah, they gave me a call. After they gave me a call, I got on my visit, I think, a week later. And then after my visit, I committed about a week and a half after that. But it was only two schools. It was only Cal Baptist and San Francisco. So it all worked out, though. You know, mm-hmm. so I don't regret nothing. I was, like, super emotional and super frustrated back then, coming out of high school and coming out of Central Washington, just because, like I said, I felt like I did enough to prove that I could play at this level. But... I didn't have anything to show for it in terms of schools, but I wouldn't want to go to any other school other than San Francisco. So I'm happy it all worked out. Yeah, absolutely. And you've been able to obviously dominate. You put up the some amazing numbers this these past couple seasons. But I am curious, was that a huge learning curve for you going from the D two level and then you're playing D one and the competition was much much more difficult? Yeah, but I think what helped me the most is uh, having a red shirt. You know, back then they had the rule where if you transfer from Division two to Division one, you have to sit out a year. Kind of like if you transfer Division one to Division one, you know, back then you have to sit out. Now everybody gets waivers. Everybody can transfer. You don't got to sit out. So I had the red shirt when I first got over here, and that was the best thing I ever could have did just because I was able to sit back and actually watch the game and learn the game. Um, I was with, you know, the rest of the red shirts, so I'm lifting – more than the guys who are playing, doing more workouts and just things like that. But I think it allowed me to just, my body matured, 
my mind and my IQ matured in terms of basketball. And just being in a new environment, you know, coming all the way to San Francisco, Central Washington is only an hour 30 from Seattle. So if I ever needed to go home or if I ever needed this or that, my mom could drive it up or I could drive back home. But coming out here and being in a whole new environment, I think having that year off kind of allowed me to get accommodated and just take my time and I have to rush everything. I got caught up in all my books and things like that. So that was probably one of the best years of my life, honestly. And then it definitely set me up for that first year I played. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you actually were able to play as a member of the Dons in the NCAA tournament in 2022. You mentioned because you're at the D2 level, you didn't have obviously the opportunity to play for the NCAA tournament. So talk to us about that experience, getting the school's name called and all the festivities that were built around that. Yeah, man, it was crazy. You know, we had set the standard from the the moment we figured out our whole roster back in June. So we kind of just had that standard. We we made sure that we did everything we could to make that a reality. You know, we had a strong start. We started off 10 and 0, which was great. Super fun, you know, just hooping with the guys and just getting to learn everybody. We had a lot of big non-conference wins and then we had a lot of big conference wins and then Fast forward into the end of the year when we went to Vegas for our conference tournament. You know, we all knew that we had to beat BYU in that last game to to really solidify our spot in the tournament. So that game was just crazy. There's a lot of tension built up to it. You know, we have our little unspoken beef with BYU. So being able to go out there and just, you know, play our heart out. I played pretty good that game. JB played pretty good. Everybody just had fun. Man, we went out there and, and had no business. So after that game, we kind of just felt like a relief, you know, just knowing that we, in our head, we had it locked in. Mm-hmm. So fast forward into Selection Sunday, you know, we're all confident. We all think we're getting picked. We kind of know it in our gut. They throw this whole little watch party thing in our gym. They call us out one by one, uh, kind of introducing us to the to the crowd. We have fans there, friends, uh, fans and family and friends. So it was a cool little event. But the thing that wasn't cool was we were sitting there waiting for forever, it felt like, like just waiting for our name to get called. We knew that we were going to be in between the uh, seventh and tenth seed. So every time that spot got close, you know, we were all tense up and kind of get anxious and think we're going to get picked in the first, what is it, I think three positions that we possibly could have been in, they all went by and we just didn't get picked. So we're all stressed out thinking that we weren't going and we were probably going to end up in the NIT. And then the the last little spot came. And then when we seen our name, we just, it just, everything just felt like it was worth it. We all jumped up, celebrated. It was a super cool experience, man. And, you know, the cameramans are recording and all that stuff. So we have a whole bunch of videos. But, yeah, it's just nothing like setting a, a real goal with a group of guys and then being able to follow through with that goal. So once that happened, we just, we knew that we obviously had to go to the tournament and perform, but it just being able to reach that goal just felt so good. Yeah, and then we ended up going to Indiana. Sam and I, we watch the NCAA tournament selection show every year. It's a great, it's it's a great, it's great television because obviously you get to see schools like San Francisco have the opportunity to get selected. But when they show the live camera shot on TV, is that like instant? Yeah, that's all that's like live, like you know how like in the NBA draft when 
a dude's about to get drafted, they bring the cameras over or like they'll text the agent and be like, he's getting picked next, like things like that. Like, nah, with this, with this uh, selection Sunday, like when you sit down and you see people's reactions, like all that is genuine, all that's like natural. They didn't, nobody got a text. Our coach didn't get no text saying that we we're going to get picked, anything. So everybody like is literally watching the screen, waiting for our name to get picked. That's why everybody, like when you see people's celebrations, it's like, it's natural because that's really like how it goes down and nobody knows. So yeah, man, it was crazy. And like our situation was different because teams who win their conference tournament, they know they're going to the tournament. So at, with them, they're just literally waiting to see their name. But like us, we had a, a at-large bid and we didn't win our conference tournament. So we were literally just waiting to see our name picked. Yeah. All that, all that was like natural for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, Ethan, you had, a career high in points, almost 18 points per game, had three dimes. Just you had one of the best seasons uh, as a West Coast Conference player. So, Bo Sam and I would like to know out of all the players that you've played at in the conference or in the non conference, who do you say have been like the top three players that you've had to go up against in your college career? Including Division Two? Yeah. I mean, if they were a monster at that level. Man, it's hard because, like, sometimes, like, you'll play against a guy and he'll, he'll, like, have a good game, but that don't mean he's really like that, you know? Like, it takes a lot to get my respect. Like, it's it's one thing for you to just have a good game and in your next seven games you have five points and you're boo-boo, you know? So, like, I don't know. It's, it's tough. I'll say Drew Timmy just because every time we play him, he gives us 20 and he gives everybody else in the country 22. So I'll say, Drew, I'll go. This is dude I played against at Division Two. He went to Western Washington. His name is Dalton Holmes. He had um, he was with the Pelicans for a little bit. Um, I think he's overseas now, but he was a bucket, like 6'8". He could handle it. He could shoot. Athletic. I'll say him. And then I'll go, honestly, I'll go Jamari Bouye, my teammate. Just going up against him in practice and, you know, seeing him go to the Miami Heat and doing it up there and going to Sioux Falls and doing it down there every single night. Yeah, I'll say those are the top three. So, uh, Khalil, so uh, during your uh, time at San Francisco, you went through a coaching change as Todd Golden left the Dons for Gainesville, Florida. Did you have thoughts of trying to go to Florida? And then what made you decide to finish your career with the Dons? You know, so a story a lot of people don't know. After we lost March Madness in Indiana to uh, Murray State, we're on a plane back to San Francisco. And, you know, nobody thinks we have Wi-Fi on the planes and things like that. Most of the people are asleep. But I wake up to my phone and I have a notification from ESPN. And it says, University of San Francisco head coach Todd Golden takes job at University of Florida. So we're on the plane back to San Francisco when we found out he was leaving. So, like, you get that news and everybody on the plane is whispering. We're all talking, trying to, you know, like, confirm, like, if it's true or not. Or, like, everybody's just lost. And, yeah, I mean, he's been my coach since I got to San Francisco. So my one of my first initial thoughts was, am I going to go to Florida? And, you know, after we landed and after he got situated and went out to Florida and things like that, there were some conversations about me going over there, but 
once it came down to the wire, we just both didn't feel like it was the best situation for me personally. He was stepping into a whole new situation. It's the SEC, you know, there's a lot of a lot of pressure over there. So both of us didn't want us to like feel like we had to we owed each other something. And then it gets to a situation where I can't enjoy my last year of college, you know. So yeah, we both just agreed that it was best for me to just stay here. And and honestly, I wanted to stay here. Like it would it wouldn't have been easy for me to just get up and go to Florida, regardless of he was over there or not. So yeah, after just weighing all my options and and I entered the portal too, so I was talking to a bunch of coaches. But after just all those conversations and you know me just having this connection to the school and them really being the only school gave me a chance, it, it, would, it would have been hard for me to leave, and I'm happy I didn't leave. So I ended up coming back. So playing for the Dons, you had the opportunity to play for the same program as the great Bill Russell that brought two national titles and a 60-game winning streak to What's the biggest lesson you learned about the life of Bill Russell being a basketball player for the Dons? I'll, I'll say two things. One, stand up for what's right, regardless of what your your profession is. You know, he was a basketball player, but he was more than that. You know, and I think that's what people respect about him the most. So regardless if you're a doctor or teacher or basketball player I don't know, you make beds for a living, whatever the case may be, just stand up for what's right and what you truly believe in. I would say that's the first one. And the second one, he said the game is and always will be about buckets. So you got to get buckets. <laughs> Those are the two things I say I learned from the late great Bill Russell. Awesome. So uh, competing in the WCC, it, it improved the past couple of years as Gonzaga still dominated but was pushed by other teams in the WCC. Talk about what it's like playing at the WCC in the past two years. I think it's one of the most underrated leagues in the country. Um, I think we definitely surpassed Pac-12. I think we surpassed Mountain West, Big West, all those other conferences. I think, yeah, honestly, in my opinion, we're the best conference on the West Coast or in the West side of the country. But, yeah, in the two years, the last two years have definitely proven that. It's easier for Pac-12 to get bids. You know, they have – they usually have a bunch of draft picks. They're usually top in the country. But with us only having two bids per year, I think um, for us to have three teams last year go to the tournament, almost Santa Clara, they were right there. They could have made it to um, – and BYU, they both went to the NIT. So for us to have five teams in the postseason last year, this year we were borderline NIT – um, Santa Clara made NIT, and then obviously Gonzaga and St. Mary's made it. I think we got some heavy hitters, and I think when we do have those crosshairs and we play the Pac-12 schools or the Mountain West teams or whatever the case may be, we usually dominate. So I think, yeah, over these last two years, we've definitely taken a big step in the right direction and just being one of those elite conferences in the country. Yeah. And then one of your guys' victories this year, you went and played Arizona State and absolutely just clobbered them uh, 97 yeah. to 70 earlier in the year. And that was a team that played in the NCAA tournament as well. Exactly. And they were a top 25 team when we played them too. So that just goes to show, you know, the type of firepower, you know, LMU, they beat um, Gonzaga and St. Mary's. So they were some heavy hitters uh, in our conference. Um, like I said, BYU usually always up there. Yeah, man, I think like our top six teams this year were pretty strong and could have competed with a lot of teams in the country. So, yeah, yeah. for sure. 
be interesting when uh, BYU next year, they'll be in the Big 12 conference. So yep. we'll see how they uh, adjust going from the WCC to the Big 12. Yeah, yeah, we will. We will. So uh, now you're going through the NBA draft process. Uh, what do you see as your strengths as a player right now? I think my energy, my shooting ability, uh, my defense, and just my grit. I feel like like a lot of people are like, they don't want to get their shoes dirty. Like not in a literal sense, but like I feel like for me, already being shorter than everybody and not being as athletic as everybody, like me being gritty and me being the one to dive on the floor and do the things that nobody else want to do are going to be like the the biggest things for me. And, and that's what's going to stand out to these coaches and to these scouts and things like that. So I would say those are those are my biggest strengths. Uh, what do you feel like you need to improve and not just to make the NBA, but to be able to stay in the NBA for a long time? Uh, definitely. I got to get way stronger. I would say for offense and defense, you know, when you get to the hole, guys are going to try to body you. Um, you got to be able to stand your ground, slide your feet. Um, the NBA's majority ball screen. So I would say my, my ball screen defense got to work on that for sure. But I think those are all things that come with just reps. You know, once you get in that those situations, once you get in those buildings with those NBA guys and you're going against them every single day, that's just something that's going to get better over time. You know, if you're really working at it and really want to do it. Something else I would say, I have the ability to create like my own shot. But a lot of the times um, I'm shooting wild shots and I'm shooting off balance shots. So my percentages aren't as high as they should be, but it's because the difficulty of the shots that I do take and the freedom that I have with my team. So I would say uh, if somebody were to just look at my numbers, I would say I need to get my three-point percentage up and my field goal percentage up. But if somebody were to like watch my games and see the type of shots that I take, they will understand why it's not as high as it is. But I, obviously that's not an excuse. But I would just say, yeah, get my percentages up and – be more consistent with my shot who's a uh, nba player that you try to like emulate when you're on the court honestly i don't try to emulate anybody i feel like people can compare me to players but i feel like i have my own play style when people do compare me i get a lot of uh kimball walker i get some nate robinsons without the without the 45 inch vertical mm -hmm. i get some um Trying to see who else. Some Patty Mills. And yeah, I would, I would say probably them three. If you can mix all those guys together. Nice. So uh, throughout your uh, your experience playing basketball, what do you want to see change in the youth basketball landscape? Uh, in the youth basketball? Um, just across the world? Uh, yes, or just like, or even just in like the United States in general? I would say... When it comes to AAU, it's basketball in general. So you're just supposed to be you're supposed to be having fun. You're supposed to be able to express yourself through the way you play. But I think, you know, some AAU programs and some AAU teams need to like drill the fundamentals and drill like the simpleness of the game before, you know, people start adding their own pizzazz. Like there's nothing wrong with it, but I think a lot of the kids just want to go out there and shoot Steph Curry threes or throw the behind-the-back pass, and they don't even know how to come do a jump stop yet, you know? And then another thing, I don't like how everybody's just playing for a highlight. I feel like 
especially like with AAU, even with high school basketball, everybody's just playing for a highlight. Everybody wants to throw it off the backboard. Everybody wants to do this, do that, so they can have a highlight to post on Instagram after when in reality they went they went four for 20 or they shot terrible shots, you know, and they hit that one little crazy shot and then they post it on their Instagram. So I just feel like a lot of people are playing to get clout or to get noticed, but not in the right way. So I would just say get back to the basics, learn the fundamentals, and then once you get all that down packed and you know how to play the game of basketball, then you can expand your game and get more creative and, you know, express yourself a little bit more. Yeah, right. I, I think I, one thing I would change about youth basketball is like the amount of games being played. I think more kids should like be focusing more on fundamentals. I, games are fine, but like just like maybe get not as many games over the summer. Like there's some guys that were playing like 70 games in the summer, which is almost like a full NBA season. And yeah, yeah. And I, I do think like I remember growing up watching like hoop mixtape and then try and do yep. all the try and do too many dribble moves. And I realized that I ended up finding myself over dribbling and I ended up turning the ball over or just like killing the flow of the offense. Right. Right. Exactly. Like in real life, I mean, not to say in real life, but once you get to the college level, there ain't too many schools where you can just sit there and dribble 10 times and try mm-hmm. to make us create a shot. Like you probably get two to five dribbles max. And then you either got to swing it or you got to shoot it. So I think just teaching them that because their whole life they go dribbling and doing all that extra stuff. And then once they get to this level, it's a culture shock. And then they're trying to figure out out why the coach don't like them or why the coach don't want to play them. And it's because the way they play. Feels like it's more it's easier to score with like a simple like jab step than try and do the Iverson crossover. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So um, if I could give you three teams that you would choose to play for in the NBA, what would your uh, three be? Honestly, bro, at this point, it's just whatever team is going to give me the best opportunity. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't want to give any team names. If I could play for any team, I'd want to play for the Sonics. I'll put it like that. Uh, That's a good one. I I hope you play with LeBron. (laughs) Yeah, or LeBron. But I hope LeBron comes to Seattle. Then I'll play with LeBron. There you go. Yeah. Ron and his uh his son Bronny James whenever he gets drafted. Yep, yep. All them guys can come on over to Seattle. We'll have a good old little time. Win For a championship. Sure. So uh Khalil, mm-hmm. any advice you give those chasing a dream like yourself? Uh just stick with it. If you really want that dream, just stick with it and make sure you're putting in the work. And yeah, make sure you're doing the necessary things like and having integrity, doing things where if people aren't watching, you're still handling your business. You're still going to school, getting your grades. You're still getting up those extra shots when, you, when you're when you tired or or when you don't feel like going, things like that. I would just say just stick with it. And once you have your goal set in mind, anything that's not on the same path as that, then you got to kick it to the curb and worry about it later, whether it's girls, whether it's your homies, whether it's video games, whether it's whatever. If it's not on the path to the goal that you're trying to reach and it's not positive, you gotta you gotta put that to the side and you can you can get back to that later. But yeah, just lock in, have faith, and just make sure you, you put in that work. Excellent. Yeah, Khalil, that was some very good advice. You know, did you did you have some experiences, whether you were playing at the AAU level or, or high school level, that you kind of went down that 
path of being a little bit distracted. You had to, you know, like you said, kick those distractions to the curve. No, yeah, absolutely. For sure. You know, life's trials and tribulations, and it, it ain't going to always be pretty. And in terms of my situation, I would say I definitely had people who who got it done and, and did it the right way. So I had that role model to see. But I think in terms of like my situation specifically, you know, you got to just go through it to get through it. And like it's easy, like your your parents can tell you, don't do this, don't do that. But sometimes you got to just figure it out for yourself and experience it yourself so you can know for sure not to do that. You know, so I never been I never been bad at school. So the grades was never a problem. But like whether it's girls or whether it's um, even other sports, family, whatever the case may be, I've definitely had situations where I've caught myself not locked in, you know, and I think the biggest thing with that. Because it's going to happen. You know, nobody's perfect. I think the biggest thing with that is to make sure you have people around you who are, like, who respect your goal and want to see you get to that goal, who can snap you out of it. Or it's on you to just, you know, recognize that you're you're losing your pattern, you're losing your focus, and you got to snap yourself back into it. And it's not always the easiest, but your dream's probably not the easiest. So you got to do the necessary things to, to make it. Yeah, absolutely. Before... We we end the episode. You do have a, a couple of songs. I know you're an artist. You want to talk a little bit about that and how you got into that? Yeah, that's easy. You yeah, know, man, I, I've I've loved music my whole life. And honestly, going back to like getting distracted and not being able to focus, there's been a lot of times where like I've had like my darkest moments, and the only thing that could get me out was music. You know, listening to Nipsey Hussle, listening to Meek Mill, guys like that who are like more so on the motivational side and, you know, they, they look like me, come from the same background as me and things like that. Having those guys and just listening to their music definitely helped me out of a lot of holes that I've been in. So going back to like when I was a kid, I always used to like kind of write music and I'm pretty good at, I'm pretty good at memorizing everybody else's songs. So when I got to like middle school, like high school, I was like, let me just start writing my own, like all little raps and, you know, kind of see how it goes. Every time I came up with a bar in my head, I'll just write it down right quick. Or sometimes I would sit down hear a beat and write a whole song. And then, yeah, the first, I think the first song I ever really played for everybody, I had wrote a, like a tribute. Nobody really knows this either. I wrote a tribute to my, um, to my grandpa who I passed away. And I just kind of wrote him a little like goodbye, like, rap song just kind of like appreciating him and talking about times that we had and they played it at the funeral so that was like my first time having other people like actually listen to my music and then everybody liked it everybody wanted me to like send it to them and things like that i never released that but they always wanted me to send it to them and then fast forward into 2019 i was just in the studio with one of my homies uh marquise chris he used to play for the warriors and he lived out here with me, so we would always just go to his stew at his house and just kind of just rap. And then one time we made a song that we both really liked, so I just dropped it. And it's called The Hope. And ever since then, I've kind of just been dropping music. I got two EPs out. I think I got four or five singles out. And then I'm actually working on my EP right now that I'm about to release uh, sometime next month. So, yeah, man, music, the music journey's going I got to perform twice at the school in front of the uh, in front of the students, so they they embrace me and my music too, which is another reason why I love San Francisco. And 
yeah, man, it's been fun so far. Hopefully you just keep getting going and, you know, more people listen to me and, and like my music and they can help them through whatever they're going through or they could just slap it when they're going to a party or something. This is fun, you know? So it's, yeah, I love music for sure. Where can uh, people listen to those uh, projects that you've put out? Oh, they're everywhere. You can Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube Music, um, YouTube, everything. It's, it's out everywhere, so. You can so, go download that. Give so, it a little listen. Khalil Shabazz. That's how they. That, that's your name. On oh that? no, my rap name. My rap name's Lil Bazzy. So it's it's the second part to my first and last name. So I'm, my name's Khalil Shabazz. So I go Lil Bazzy. Okay, there you go. I like it. There we go. We yes, got some sir. plugs. I I am curious now. Now that you 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 got me thinking. Obviously, talked about Nipsey Hussle and Meek Mill, but I. What are some current rappers or game, you know, artists that you listen to like before a game or during a workout? I think my main, I, my main four artists I, I constantly have in rotation. I'll go five. My main five artists are uh, Nipsey, Meek Mill, uh, this dude named Lil Bean. He's from San Francisco. Blast. He's from LA. He's like an R&B type guy. And then my own music it was like my top five that I listened to the most. Man, the goal is for uh, after now that you're uh, finished with your San Francisco career, they need to play your music before the game. And then when you mm -hmm. go back to the game, you'll be listening to your own music. No, yeah, that'll be hard. That'll be hard for sure. I'm, I think I'm going to work on the um, before next season comes up. I'm going to try to work on a. Uh, a Don San Francisco type song that kind of talks about me playing there or whatever and try to make it like a, a beat type song so they can play it during warm-ups and get everybody get everybody lit. So I think I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get that done before the season so they can clear it and, and play before the games. There we go, man. Yeah. You are the first college basketball slash music artist that we've had on the podcast. Oh, uh, there we go. There you go. Yeah. Yes, We've had a handful of basketball players, but not not basketball players that can do other things like yourself. But um before we let you go, you know, do you have any social media plugs um that you're willing to promote that people can obviously listen to your new music or just watch you play the game of basketball, reach out? Oh yeah. I mean I'm on I'm on Instagram and Twitter at uh Hello Shabazz Zero. Those are my handle names. And then um, Snapchat is uh, Shabazz underscore zero. So you guys can catch me on there. That's where I usually post all my music, all my basketball stuff, all my my life stuff. My whole life's on there. So if you want to get to know me, just go on there and you could probably get a, a, a nice little grasp of, you know, how I live my life and, and things like that. So, yeah, give me a follow and check me out. Sounds good. Sounds good, Khalil. And um but anyway, hey, man, Sam and I appreciate you coming on and talking about your illustrious career at University of San Francisco and then also um, your time at the D2 level. Yes, sir. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Had a good time.
For those who are listening to our show for the first time, all our past and future episodes are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Sports Mecca.